In our last session, we discovered how deeply God desired a relationship with us, so much so that even though we had rebelled against God, even though we were hostile toward God, even though our sin had separated us from God and we were destined for an eternal hell, God in love and mercy sent his one-of-a-kind, utterly unique son, Jesus, to pay the ransom to buy us back. We were separated from God by sin, bound for an eternal hell. We could not do anything to change our fate, so God sent Jesus to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. That is the truth we discovered in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 17, 18, and 19. If you address as Father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, here it is, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. As we continue our journey through First Peter, the precious apostle reminds us that Jesus, the Lamb of God, was never God's backup plan. Jesus was not heaven's plan B. We pick up our study in verse 20, where he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Focus on that first phrase, for he was foreknown, known in advance. That is, God knew before creation began the plan he would put in place to bring us to himself. You may say, but wait a minute, Wayne. What about the Garden of Eden? Did God create us but destine us to fail? No. Absolutely not. But God knew we would fail. Go back in your mind what you know about the beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis. God created heaven and earth. He created the sky and the land. He created the sea and the land. He created the grass of the fields. He created the trees. He created the animals. And with every creation, God declared, it is good. And then he created man in his own image. With everything else in Genesis that he created, he created with the spoken word and said, it is good. But when it came to the creation of mankind, we are told in Genesis that God reached down with his own hands and from the dust of the earth created man. He placed Adam and Eve in a perfect environment. Everything they needed for life and success was in the garden. They had free reign, but there was one rule. There was a tree in the middle of the garden. It is sometimes referred to as the tree of knowledge. Other times it is referred to as the tree of good and evil. And Adam and Eve were told, do not eat the fruit from that tree. 
for the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Did God put that rule in place to tempt Adam and Eve? No. God desired to have a relationship with Adam and Eve. He longed to love and be loved. But love is not real love without choice. Along came the adversary, the enemy, Satan, in the form of a serpent. And the first thing he did was question the word of God. Did God really say? And then he told Eve, not only did he question the word of God, but he thought to manipulate the word of God by saying, God knows that if you eat that fruit, you will not die. God does not want you to eat that fruit because the moment you eat it, you will be just like him. Eve bought into the lie, bit into the fruit, gave it to her hen-pecked husband, Adam, and sin entered the world. At that very moment, Adam and Eve died. Now, they did not keel over and kick the bucket, but they were instantly separated from God. That's spiritual death. They were instantly separated from God. But in Genesis chapter 3, God has some harsh words for the serpent, the adversary. In verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. And this is the part of the passage I really want you to hear. He shall crush you on your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the very first prophecy concerning the coming of Christ. And we find it right here in Genesis. But as I have told you before, what I say means absolutely nothing. What God has to say means absolutely everything. So does God's word teach the truth of my statement that even before the fall in the garden, God had his redemptive plan in place? The book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. After the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, the apostles had gone back into the upper room where they were told to wait until the Holy Spirit fell upon them. That occurred at Pentecost, that great gathering. And in Acts chapter 2, Peter, the same Peter who wrote this wonderful letter of encouragement, Peter stands up and begins to proclaim the truth of the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ. And we pick it up in verse 22 of Acts chapter 2. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man tested to you by God, with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, here it is, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan. Do you hear it? Predetermined plan. A plan determined in advance. The predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God 
you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death. When did death enter the world? When Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the, uh, in the center of the garden. But God put an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. At Pentecost, in that great sermon, Peter describes the cross as the predetermined plan of God. The plan that God had put in place before creation ever began. Or the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. It is a wonderful passage of Scripture. In fact, in our sessions, we've posted a sermon entitled Shedding the Grasshopper Complex that explores this particular passage and identifying who you are in heaven's eyes. But Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, just as he chose you in him, here it is, before the foundation of the world. When did God choose us in Christ? Before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined, there's a target word, he predestined us to adoption. When did he predestine us to adoption? Before the foundation of the world. He predestined us to adoption as sons. How would we be adopted? Through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. When did God orchestrate the means and methods of our redemption? Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 that God did so before the foundation of the world. Or the wonderful passage that he wrote to the Colossians about when God decided that Jesus would come to redeem us. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now listen to these prepositions. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him, and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Did you trace Paul's words? He says that the world was created by Christ, the world was created through Christ, the world is being held together by Christ, and ultimately the goal is that it would be inherited for Christ. By, through, for. One more passage. I know this is an aerobic Bible study tonight, and you're having to turn uh, to various uh, passages, but 2 Thessalonians verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 13 but we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you. Listen, when did he choose you? God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and faith in the truth. The encouragement that Paul is offering the church at Thessalonica, he says, because you were loved before the foundation of the world, because you were chosen 
before the foundation of the world. Because the means of your salvation was put in place before the foundation of the world. Because you were redeemed in, in order to receive glory from God. Then he goes on, on the basis of all of those things, verse 15, So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or mouth or by letter from us. Because God chose you from the foundation of the world, because God loved you before the foundation of the world, because God put a plan in place to buy you back before the foundation of the world, therefore stand firm. Remember, Peter is writing to saints who are really suffering. They're experiencing joblessness, homelessness, hunger, torture, even execution. And Peter is writing to encourage these saints in the midst of their suffering by giving them hope, the bedrock guarantee of a future inheritance rooted in a past event, by pointing them to the one who suffered for them and all that his suffering has made available to them, namely salvation here, heaven hereafter. Wow. You mean God did all of this for me from before the beginning of time? Yeah. Would that be a word of encouragement to these precious saints? You bet it would. But let's continue in verse 20. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. The last times is defined as that period from Jesus's incarnation to his coronation. A period in which those believers then and us today are currently experiencing. Those are the last times. Whenever you see that phrase in Scripture, know it's talking about the incarnation to the coronation. And Peter is reminding these hurting believers, the God whom they fear as judge, that is the God whose behavior they did not want to embarrass God, is also the God who they can trust as Savior. Look at verse 21 again. Who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. Look at the next phrase. So that your faith and hope are in God. Their faith. Faith simply defined forsaking all I trust him. Their faith, that is their present grace. Their hope, the bedrock guarantee of a future inheritance rooted in a past event, that is their future grace. So that their present grace and their future grace is settled, safe, and secure because of what Jesus has already done. Wow. I can even say it backwards. Wow. And so I end this session with a motivational word that comes from the lips of the Lord Jesus himself. The one who loved us from before the foundation of the world and began the personal process of reconciling us to God before we were even born. That Jesus, 
said in John chapter 16, in this world, you will have tribulation. Whatever you are going through in, through in your life at this very moment, whatever pain you're experiencing, whatever uproar is running through the corridors of your heart, Jesus said, remember, in this world, this world's not your home, in this world, you will have tribulation. He didn't stop there. But be of good courage. Stand strong. Be bold. Keep on keeping on. I have. That indicates that he did in the past and it continues into the present. I have overcome the world. Beloved, live your faith out loud. Keep on keeping on because you have already won. We will see you next session. This study through God's Word is a study for scuba divers. As I shared in our introduction, there are two approaches to God's Word. You can approach God's Word as a snorkeler, or you can approach God's Word as a scuba diver. Snorkelers stay on the surface. They get a panoramic view of what's in the Word. But the scuba diver goes deep. He immerses himself in the water, and he finds the treasures buried among the reefs below. We want to help you find the treasures of God's Word by going deeper. And I hope that we have accomplished that. As always, we'd love to hear from you. Word Power Media Ministry, our email address, wordpowermm at gmx.com. Also, if you have a prayer request, please feel free to reach out to us. Our team would love to lift that prayer uh, to the Lord on your behalf. We consider ourselves family. You have never been in a room with us face to face. But if you've joined us in this journey through God's word, we consider you family. And we want to do everything we can to encourage you and to minister to you. Thank you.